Good morning again. What a powerful time of worship. If you would open your Bibles with me this morning to Philippians 4, we are completing a study of the book of Philippians. These are Paul's closing comments. The book of Philippians really is uh, a difficult one for um, outlining. Paul's a little bit scattered, kind of moves around quickly from topic to topic, and he doesn't stop in chapter 4. It's hard sometimes to find where his head is and what he's trying to say. Commentators sometimes struggle to outline the book of Philippians. I feel that God has blessed us throughout this series in helping us to glean from it. Uh, Gleaning is after the fields have been harvested, you come back and you take what was missed. And I feel like our church has done a good job of gleaning out of Philippians and just kind of picking out of it the things that are specific and nurturing and challenging to us right now. Holy Spirit is always faithful to do that. As you go into Scripture and you really ask the Holy Spirit to just say today what needs to be said today. If it helps me, it helps me. If it's, if it's comforting, it's comforting. If it's hurtful, it's hurtful. If it's challenging, it's challenging. But say what needs to be said today. And I believe the Holy Spirit often will say new things with old things. And that's what's happened, and so I'm I'm thankful for that. This message today has been particularly uh, difficult for me to... It's been easy for me to write it. It's been hard for me to figure out how to preach it. Because it's about peace. And this world and our nation does not feel very peaceful right now. So coming out of last week, which was pretty heavy for all of us, I think, I really wanted to come in this morning with pom-poms. Pastors often talk about what you have in the bank. That's pastor talk. And what that means is, how much do they like you? That's what you have in the bank. Don't spend more than you have in the bank. Well, I think that the Lord put something in the bank for me last week, and tonight, this morning, I plan to spend some. But I want you to hear me very clearly that I love you. And all I can do is preach what I'm seeing here. When we uh, began to tell people that we know and love that we had been called out of full-time mission work in Africa and into full-time ministry in America, one of the most common statements was, well, you didn't pick a great time to do this. 
most of them were referring to the pandemic. And that has had its very specific challenges. I'm very, I've told you this, I'm very happy and proud of the way that this church has just tried to find a way forward. And I know that we don't all agree on every single way that we've responded to the restrictions, but I am seeing an overall uh, cohesiveness that we're in agreement that we're trying to do the right thing in a very, very confusing time. It doesn't mean that it's easy. And so for those who said you didn't pick a great time to become a pastor, regarding the pandemic, I would agree. That's been difficult. There's something weighing on my heart, though. I'm trying to figure out how to raise half of my children. I want to tell her what happened to Brianna Taylor. But she wants to jump on the trampoline and go for bike rides. And I just want her to be able to do that. And I want to tell him what happened to George Floyd and to Jacob Blake. But he just wants to play with Legos and watch Marvel movies, and I want to do that. And I don't know what to do. But I do know that in a week leading up to a sermon on peace, I don't know what to say. I feel like a very weak father trying to figure out how to balance the advantages of four children. I'm going to give you just a teeny little piece of information about my story that you'll come to know more over time. But I have had five opportunities to go to school for free. Five. Five times I was given an opportunity for free higher education. Because of who I am. Because of the family that I come from because of the people that my family knows. I, I want all four of my kids to have the same advantages. And they don't. And so I don't feel very peaceful when I think about that. Jade and I turned on the news for the first time. And we have to ration, as I'm sure most of you do as well. We pick and choose. The amount of political divisiveness that happens even within the family of God is upsetting and discouraging. Not peaceful. There are a thousand soapboxes for us to choose today. Many. Today's message is about choosing the right ones.
Philippians 4, chapter 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is how Paul opens many of his sections. Uh, And it's not that it doesn't mean a lot, but it's primarily a transitional statement. And it shows us again how much he loves them. Again, brothers and sisters, he's just gushing over them. Then he moves into something which is, uh, could be a sermon of its own, chapter, uh, verses 2 and 3. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know a lot about these two. There's a lot of different perspectives on who these two are and what, what, what they were arguing about, but there are some things out of this, even though there's a lot of mystery, there are some things that we can take. Number one, Paul loves the church. We already know that. He has gushed over them every chance that he gets, and they are dysfunctional. Paul loves a dysfunctional church, so we can too. Number two, Paul expects leaders to be of the same mind. In other words, he's not okay with allowing them to let this thing fester and figure out how to coexist. He's made aware of from afar of their disagreement, and he asks them to be of the same mind. That's his expectation for them. And number three, Paul sees communal responses to problems. He asks for the local leaders to get involved and to help them find one mind. In other words, not everything is for the pastor. One of the things that we try to do as pastors is to become involved in the areas where we need to be involved. Our great hope is that we are nurturing a healthy community that is a salve unto itself that the Holy Spirit is using you for you. That's the great joy of a pastor is to see that the members of the flock are helping one another. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul very well could get involved himself and say, I heard what happened. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the punishment. He doesn't. He doesn't even, we have no idea even what they did. He stays back here and he says, you fix it yourselves. Nurture it yourselves. Become healthy. So we're seeing in, in there, even though that there's, there's only uh, some, some vague uh, references in those two verses, there are some key points that we can take out of that. In the re- remainder of what we're going to discuss today, he, in verses 4 through 13, that's nine verses, he points to three paths to peace. Do you want peace? Not rhetorical. Do you want peace? Paul gives us three pathways to peace. First pathway, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the things that we often do when we read Scripture, specifically when it does something within us that we don't like, is we try to uh, categorize or define or justify that thing in order to make it make sense in a way that it doesn't hurt quite so much. So when he says, don't be anxious, what he really means is, and I do that because I'm anxious. And if it says what it says, then I have to do something. My mentor, um, uh, Dr. Paul Garvrick, has been very helpful to me in helping me to understand Scripture and read it clearly. And one of the things that he always comes back to is there's a lot of things we can do in helping to to study words and context and culture and all that in Scripture, Nathan, but first and foremost, let it say what it says. He always says that to me. Well, let it say what it says, Nathan. What does it say? And here it says... Do not be anxious. Other translations, some of you are looking at, do not worry. Somehow that feels a little more difficult to choke down. One of his solutions is that we would live in thankful prayer. Thankful prayer, which in many cases seems like a genre of prayer of its own, Until you read and it says, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Petition with thanksgiving. Isn't that an interesting dichotomy, it seems like? Two things that are opposite. How can I be thankful if I don't have? I think that he's bringing to light that we do have. We have abundantly. And what we did this morning was we petitioned with thankfulness. When we live lives of thankful prayer, we position ourselves to not be worrisome. How? Verse 7. And the peace of God. Now that may seem like a common phrase. It's the only time that specific phrase is in the Bible. It's not the peace that God has, it's the peace that God is. It is the peace that God experiences. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created everything, but God already was. John told us at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, meaning that the Word precedes creation. God existed of his own, and he was at peace. He is peace. He causes to be a son who is the prince of peace. That's the peace that Paul is talking about. Not just the peace that he tries to bring and nurture within us, 
Not just that Jewish shalom that we talk about, the wholeness of person kind of peace, but the very peace which is God, unchallenged, all-powerful, all-knowing, at peace. And the peace of God, well, the next part is, of course, which transcends all understanding. How much of your Christian faith transcends your understanding? Most of it. That's awesome. That's not what I expected. That That's where we need to be. Sometimes I have conversations with people who hear me speak and know that I've been in books and want me to defend the faith. And they would be surprised to know that the majority of my faith transcends my understanding. In fact, if your pursuit of God, and let me actually address the camera as well, because if you're watching this from home and you think that your pathway to God is through books or through understanding Him, I want to promise you that the moment you arrive at that location, you have found nothing. God can't be found. He can't be captured. If you capture him, you haven't captured him. He is mystery. He does transcend. Lord, help us. We need a peace that transcends. There is a kingdom kind of living, and that's in God's peace. And it's not ignorance. That's maybe an accusation against that. Well, if you can't prove it to me, and you're saying it's all mystery, your head's in the ground. Well, no, that's not the case. It's not ignorance. It's accepting that there is something greater than me. That's one of the reasons the term atheism is an oxymoron in itself. Atheism is that there is no God, but in order to make the declaration, you have to be God. How can you know there is no God? So by very opening up the potential, we're opening up that there could be something that transcends above me. Now, those of us of faith have said, I have opened up the possibility and I have found it. That not only is there something that transcends, but that person, that God which transcends, wants to relate to me and wants to love me. And he lives within my heart. You ask me how, I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And it transcends. How beautiful it is to live a life with a transcendent love in every walk of the day. Now it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that term guard is a military term. Paul uses it also to describe what happened to him in 1 Corinthians 11.32. You remember the story where he's trying to get out of the city, they've blocked the gates, and so he goes out the window? They had the city under guard. Same word. And now here he uses that military term to describe the effect of a transcendent peace on your heart 
so that you don't have to be worried. Do you see this? Do not worry. Well, he knows that's a big statement. Who's he writing to? Persecuted Christians. Minority people groups. Helpless. And he's telling them not to worry? And who is he? He's telling them from prison. Falsely imprisoned. Wrongly imprisoned. Don't worry. He says, do not worry. And if you're going to make a statement like that, as a person like this, to people like that, you better back it up. And he does. He says, do not worry. And here's how. Pray with thankfulness in everything that you do, acknowledging that there is a transcendent being and that the peace that that transcendent being lives in and enjoys freely will guard like a military your heart and your mind. That's how you don't have to worry. Now, interesting thing here is he doesn't say anything about really the response to the petition. Pray and petition, and God will give you what you ask for. No, pray and petition with thanks, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. That's a sermon of its own. So let me put that over here. A man in prison tells persecuted people to pray with thanks. Amen. Wow. I don't have peace, though, and I'm worried. What do I do? One time, somebody stole a nice tractor from my grandpa's greenhouse. And I was a teenager working there. So I came to work. He said, Nathan, somebody stole the tractor. I, he said, did you put it somewhere? Did you take it somewhere? I said, I didn't. <laughs> no, I don't know where it is. And he and I started walking the acres of this back where we had the tree farm. We walked and looked back where we kept the mulch. We looked in the flower area. Did somebody move this thing? And then we just decided, let's just start at uh, this place where people come in and let's walk the fence the entire way. So we walked that fence and we got, and we got all the way to the back and then sure enough, there was a big tractor-sized hole cut in the fence. And so at that moment, we stopped looking for the tractor because we saw where we had lost the tractor. If you don't have peace, ask the Holy Spirit to walk the fence with you. And if you find that there is a place in your life where you cannot pray with thankfulness, stop looking for your peace. It went that way. We cannot grab control of this area of our lives and say, I'm going to pray thankfully for all of this, but this needs to work out right, so I'm going to take control of this thing. Then you won't have peace there. You found it. You found the hole in the fence. That's where your peace escaped. Peace comes from releasing those things to transcendent peace. Eight through nine. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Beautiful writing. We use that many places in the church. And I told you that Jade and I started watching the news again this week after returning to America. Right off the bat, whatever is true, Even the word true starts to make some of our blood pressure increase. Well, what is going on? The concept of truth has been called out in front of us. I once heard someone, I don't want to say once, I recently, very recently heard someone say that they were trying to find their truth. I just want to let you know that's the world we live in. That's the nation that we live in, where that is the promoted way of living life. Find your truth. We are not finding our truth. That is not what we're talking about. That is not what Paul is talking about. When he says whatever is true, he's not telling us all to go out and find our truths. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. These are not merely platitudes for Paul. These are sanctified thoughts, set apart transcendent statements. I'm being careful with the words I'm saying because I have something strong that I believe is Scripture and I believe that we have had other voices in our ears bringing great challenge to how we can hear Scripture and how we can speak to one another. And one of those is truth. Because if I figure out how you voted, if I figure out your position on masks, if I figure out what you think about this or this, I call your truth into question. That's not the truth he's talking about. There is a transcendent truth, and it doesn't belong to any of us. It's not my truth, and it's not your truth. We are subject to the truth. It is above us. We respond to it. There is a nobility and a rightness and a purity which is above us and beyond us and we don't own it, but we are subject to it. It is transcendent. 
and so to his suffering family. A man in prison to suffering people that he loves, his advice to them is to think up. Think up. Not to try to figure out and get entangled in all of the webs of this world, but to be consumed with something above. To be citizens of something else, a kingdom. To put their thoughts in those places. Asking from prison people who are suffering to sing. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds in me. And let us come together. Let us be united in something greater than pettiness. There are a thousand soapboxes to choose from and this sermon is about choosing the right ones. Paul has every soapbox in the world that he could stand on. He can spend his breath on politics. He can spend his breath in every area and he says, pray with thankfulness, my brothers and sisters. Think about true things, noble things, right things, pure things, excellent things, admirable things. And this is not ignorant, head-burying blindness. This is not to say the world's too hard, let's hide in our faith. It is the practice of faith. Kingdom priority is not social passivity, it's holy clarity in faithful activity. Let me give it to you again. Kingdom priority is not societal passivity, meaning when I prioritize the kingdom in my life, it doesn't mean that I'm passive in my society. What it means is that I have a holy clarity in my faithful activity. We often try to live in this world and ask for help from the kingdom, and we are asked to live in the kingdom as ambassadors to this world. Are we living in the kingdom? Verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. No matter how bad this life can get. Imagine getting a letter like that from a man in prison. Now, whatever you learn from me, well, what I learned from you is how to get in prison. He's playing in a different game. What confidence and assurance he has that he is a kingdom citizen at odds with what's going on here. That jailed for his faith... He holds up his example as admirable and should be repeated. 
He's not a citizen of the place where he is. He is a kingdom citizen. Now moving in, so we have three pathways to peace. One is peace from thankful prayer. We've just covered peace from holy thinking. And then he moves into peace from contentedness in Christ. And I just want to skip all the way to the end, verse 13. Potentially the most misused verse in the Bible. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I was joking around with uh, Josh and Joshua as we were discussing the the service. That I, I remember seeing a movie one time where somebody, it's an action movie, and somebody was getting ready to like, barge into a room, guns a-blazing, and they, they had a cross necklace, and they kissed it and said, I can do all things. And then they went in. Oh, my goodness. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Keep it in context. What is he talking about? Let's back up. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Not quite the same image, is it? Are you content? Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us individually. What is our relationship with contentedness? Are we hard to please? Do we find our joy in you no matter what life hands us? Hard to be at peace when we always want more. Paul has every right to want more. He doesn't say, if I only had. He just says, no matter what. Peace from contentedness in Christ. Three pathways to peace. Peace from thankfulness in prayer. Walk the circumference. Is there an area of your life that you cannot pray thankfully? Is there an area that you've held on to and just said, all this, thank you, Lord, I trust you with all this. But this one is really serious. That's the location where you lost your peace. Peace from holy thinking. Are you coming here and trying to nurture healthy thoughts and then going home and watching this or participating in this and introducing that language into your mind? What is the ratio of that language to Scripture language? What's the ratio of that language to prayer language? How much breath do we spend 
giving our opinion on temporal, worldly things versus praying of transcendent things. Are we content? I can't tell you that. That's Holy Spirit territory. I challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit to ask, to move in. Are you content? Now more than ever, we must be not just people of peace, prophets of peace. Peaceful with one another and moving into our communities with language that brings about peace and unity. There are so many soapboxes to choose from. And every soapbox has its own king that wants you to join in that language. Isaiah saw the Lord. And he said of the Lord that his train filled the temple. Do you know what that means? It's a reference to warfare back then. When this king would fight against that king, and whoever wins cuts the robe off of the loser and sews it to the end of his own robe. And so the longer the robe, the more powerful and conquering the king. Isaiah saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple. He is the king of kings. Every area of our world, even those areas that feel so out of control, we are not the kings over that area. There is a king over that area. We must be filled with his peace, giving up divisive language, standing up for places that need peace. There are many places where the church needs to be quiet and sing here. There are many places where the church needs to get loud promoting, requiring, prophesying peace. Lord, help us to see where to be active and where to be quiet. Lord, help us to be proponents of peace, caring more for your agenda, God, than my agenda. Help me to stand up for people who don't have the peace that I have. To risk myself. To spend from my abundance. To cost my advantage. For the sake of peace for another person. 
Let's stand together. And what I would like us to do as we are standing is to think about those three areas. Ask God, if I could only work on one, where would it be? Do I need to be better praying for, in thankfulness that you would bring peace into my life? Do I need to be better in holy thinking, thinking about the right things and not filling my mind with all kinds of other stuff? Do I need to be more content? Whatever the Holy Spirit says to you, that's what today's sermon is about. And that's what your week's challenge is. We can be people of peace and be active in our society. We are kingdom citizens as ambassadors to every nation and every county and every city and every neighborhood block. As people of peace, as one warm family, let's join together in one voice and worship.